Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. My name is Todd McLaughlin, and I will be your host. If you would like to learn more about our upcoming live stream yoga classes, workshops, teacher trainings, and or our online yoga studio, please visit us at nativeyogacenter.com. Thank you. Sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, everybody. I'm extremely excited to have Travis Suit here uh, joining me for a podcast session uh, this afternoon. It is Friday the 13th. Yahoo. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, thanks for joining me here, Travis. It's a, it's a pleasure to have a chance. I haven't seen you in quite a few months. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I, I, want to, I don't want to assume that anybody knows who you are and what your mission is. So um, I'll, I'll give you a, a real quick introduction, and if you could take over. Uh, Travis Suit is the head of Piper's Angels, which is a nonprofit organization that strives to help those with cystic fibrosis. Uh, uh, one of the events that they have coordinated over quite a few years now is called the Crossing for Cystic Fibrosis, which is a long distance paddle, stand-up paddle, canoe paddle, outrigger paddle from Bimini in the Bahamas to Lake Worth, Florida. Um, but there's a lot of other dimensions that go into Piper's Angels and, um, and into uh, your mission, Travis. So thank you so much for being here. And can you give us a, an introduction um, on, on how you're doing and, and what's happening for you these days? Yeah, thank you very much, Todd. And I'm really happy to be here. I believe the last time I actually saw you was possibly when you came on the Epic Love Show podcast. I think you're right. That was back in January, maybe, or 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 Feb. Yeah, it was it was it was a Before while before everything started with the uh, with COVID. Yeah, yep. good point. It's been a while. Yeah. I, <laughs> so it's good to be here. I feel really good about being here right now and seeing you and it always warms my heart. And, um, you know, you're such a big part of this community and the divine venue that you have created here um, is, is such a sacred space. Um, and I'm really thankful and grateful for that uh, in the good memories that I have here um, as well. Thanks, Travis. That's cool, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, the, la I, the last yoga event we did here to do a fundraiser for Piper's Angels, we did a see who can hold child's pose the <laughs> longest. And uh, you clocked in as the, the longest holder. I feel like we were in the 30-minute realm and um, a little over 30 minutes. And for those of you that have never attempted to hold child's pose for longer than 10 minutes, I challenge you to... Yeah. Uh, Go ahead and hop on your mat right now. Hit the timer and see how long you can hold it. It's not easy. It sounds like it would be simple. Um, but that's a good segue, I guess, in terms of, um, you know, endurance. And mm -hmm. you had the vision um, to attempt to paddle from Bahamas to Florida on your stand-up paddleboard. Uh, how long ago was that? What year did you initiate that? Yeah, the, f the idea came to me in 2011, mm. and that was the year that Piper, my daughter Piper, who's now 13, she was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at four. Mm -hmm. And at that time, when after her diagnosis, you know, it was a really, it was, it was the dark night of my life. It was a time when um, I was really 
concerned about her future. I was frustrated that it didn't seem like there was more that could be done. I was worried about her health declining. And ultimately, I just wanted to do everything possible to to help her on her path and to support her and to see this beautiful little girl continue to live in a healthy way. And um, it was devastating and it was heartbreaking. And so at her first cystic fibrosis clinic appointment, the we had a lot of questions. And one of the questions I had was, well, what can she be doing you know, from an activities perspective, I grew up playing sports and, and being athletic. And I knew that, you know, anything exercising the lungs would obviously be good for her. Um, and uh, the the doctors had mentioned that salt water had this incredible connection and, and healing benefit, natural therapeutic healing benefit for people with cystic fibrosis. And that people who had been surfing and paddling and participating in saltwater activities were seeing better airway clearance in their lungs and reduced infection rates, less time in the hospital. And, um, and so that was a huge gift at that time to learn about that. And so with that knowledge, I said, okay, well, what do I have to do to get her out on the water? And paddle boarding was really the easiest vehicle to do that. I wanted to teach her how to surf, but at that time I didn't know how to surf. And in Florida, you have a lot of mixed conditions. You you know, you have a lot of hazards in the water. So it's not a great place to learn how to surf uh, compared to let's say Costa Rica or Hawaii. And so I just started taking her paddleboarding. And actually I just posted on Instagram uh, a photo of her and I, it was one of those memories from Facebook from eight years ago. And it was her and I, our first day paddling together. Nice. Uh, and I put her on the front of the board and she was this little four-year-old and she would tell these princess stories. And <laughs> it was really cool. Like she would pick things up along the way, like sticks. And she would, uh, you know, be in fairy tale land with her imagination running wild. And, and to, to this day, those are some of my, the most fond memories of her at that age. And just thinking at that time, having that feeling of, wow, you know, we're out here and we're having fun. We're making a good memory and this air is helping her lungs. Like mm. this is good for her. Right. And that felt really empowering. And so at that point I fell in love with paddleboarding. Mm. I really fell in love with being out on the water and, yeah. you know, being in South Florida, being in this area, Palm Beach County, you have so such great opportunities to access the water and, Paddling was really blowing up at that time. And, and since the industry has kind of plateaued, uh, but at that time it was still kind of skyrocketing. And so I had picked up some paddling magazines from uh, the bookstore and I saw these guys out in Hawaii doing these long distance crossings. And I thought, wow, like they're taking this to the next level. And it wasn't just the athleticism and the endurance but it was also the history and the culture of it that these voyages, as they call them in Polynesian and Hawaiian culture, this is stuff they've been doing for thousands of years, voyaging between the islands and in canoes and outriggers and sailing. And so these long distance paddles were just kind of a way of life and, and really in a sense, an initiation and a rite of passage. Uh, because if you were a young um, sailor or a young warrior in these tribes, in these communities, you know, you didn't get on the, the boat until you could prove that you could uh, to make it from that, that island to the other island uh, for that voyage. So 
I just thought that was fascinating and it got my mind racing and, and, um, I was thinking about the Bahamas and how, wow, you know, it's really only 50 miles. Yeah. It's pretty close. And I bet you, you could paddle from the Bahamas to Florida if you took the Gulf stream and, and, uh, and sure enough that summer, uh, Bill Whitten and Thaddeus foot, there were two gentlemen down in Miami who did it. They did uh-huh. it from Bimini to, to like North Miami. It took them 17 hours uh-huh. and they had a sailboat follow them. And they were actually the first two people to do it. And when I saw that, cause I had been thinking about it. I even talked to my parents about it. My parents thought I was crazy. You know, they're like, <laughs> no way, you know, like you're too dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my dad's like shipping lanes. It's the Bermuda triangle, you know, sharks, whatever, but <clears throat> they did it. And, and I, as soon as they did it, I thought, okay, I've got to, I've got to do it. I've got to plan it. And it's got to be something that, you know, it was something I could grab onto as a, as a coping mechanism for, you know, putting my energy into action for my daughter. Mm. And we started planning and the first year we did the crossing was in 2013. Nice. That's awesome. I hear you, Travis. What, a, what an incredible, incredible adventure. And how many people went with you on that first journey? The first year in 2013, we had four paddlers and two support boats. So we were really fortunate. There were some really seminal moments in the planning process where I knew that I was getting green lights from the universe. Mm -hmm. And one of those moments was after my first training paddle, I had borrowed just a regular flat water recreational board from my friend Kyle Igneri at Paddleboarding Palm Beach. And I said, what do you think I should do? And he's like, I don't know. I would just, it was a, it was a blowing wind, cold day. It was, I was insane to go out there on a, on a recreational board. And he's like, I don't know, try to make it down to Munion and Island and back, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay, how far is that? He's like, probably about six miles. I almost died that day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I was falling off the board. I don't know how many times the wind was blowing me all over the place. I could barely make it to Munion Island. And I thought, I have no idea what I have really signed up for, like what I've gotten myself into. And I remember getting back to the beach that day after like, it took me hours to get to do that paddle. And I got back and I felt really brutalized. Like I thought, I I started to feel that sense of doubt creep in. (laughs) And, um, And when I got back to the beach, there was this, paddleboard van parked there and you know and it had stickers all on it and it's a jimmy lewis and and there was a guy standing on the beach with with kyle and i walked up and kyle introduced me said hey this is gary mink with jimmy lewis and i said oh nice to meet you and he said you're planning to do what and i said (laughs) yeah i'm gonna paddle from bimini in the bahamas back to florida and i'm gonna start a training and i'm gonna do it for cystic fibrosis and He's like, well, do you have a board? And I said, no. And he's like, well, I can get you a board. And it was like green light, you know, boom. Right. I mean, that was, uh, I I needed a board. And at that time, you know, spending a couple grand on a board was not going to happen. So, um, I needed that. And then, then Lee Heaton with venture boat company, somebody made the introduction and Lee committed the boats. And that was another huge kind of logistical challenge. Cause I thought, how, how is this going to happen? Like, how are we going to do this? Who's going to watch us while we're in the water? And, um, and we ended up making that journey. It was Shane Pompa, Kyle Igneri, Joseph Morell, and myself. And it did not go as planned. We got terrible weather. We ended up in four to six foot rolling seas in the Gulf Stream. We had fallen off the boards hundreds of times. We were what my dad had 
had predicted because my dad came on the trip and he was, he's been a firefighter and paramedic and, and, uh, and a Marine. And he said, you know, the one thing I'm actually worried about is you guys getting hypothermic. Mm. And I thought there's no way. Not in not I'm Florida. Not gonna, yeah. Not it's going to be hot. Yeah. Like we planned it for August. I'm like, there's uh-huh. no way, you know? Uh-huh. And, and sure enough, you know, two, 2 AM in the middle of the Gulf stream in the dark, we had fallen off the boards, you know, mm. so many times and we were exhausted. We were fatigued and our body heat just was just going. Yeah. And we started all, yeah. we were all yeah. shivering and, uh-huh. um, it was really, really hard. Uh, that was, we, we were running into the back of the boats with the motors and, and, um, and I just, I started to beat myself up because I thought, I can't believe I got everybody into this. Yeah. I really started to regret, you know, like, you know, that I had, I had been the leader of this, <laughs> this potentially very dangerous situation. Yeah. But, you know, the sun eventually came up and, and we eventually, um, we actually took about, I think we took about three hours and we did a relay. Um, and that, that year it was a hundred miles back to Palm Beach Inlet, back wow. to the Riviera Beach Marina. And, um, it, it felt really defeating because we had trained so hard and, and I, I'd promised myself I wasn't going to get in that boat yep. and I had to, I had yep. to. And, um, and that was the first time we did it. But that year is what that, moment also gave me the idea that wow this would could be kind of fun as a relay uh-huh. like you could do that do yeah. it the whole thing as a relay yeah which would be much more achievable yeah um but we raised some money that year and uh the, the media had coined the name piper's angels the palm beach uh-huh. post i believe it was and that was that was just the beginning and i'd never really intended to, to do the event again i could see that it could become something bigger if mm. if somebody had the you know administrative backbone or the the mm. foundation to mm. do it i actually tried to give the event to the cystic fibrosis foundation uh-huh. and they said that you know it wouldn't fit within their compliance standards because it was an in international waters and the whole thing and uh, so it just that was it yeah you know we had done it oh man well i guess then fast forward to you said that was 2011 13. Piper was diagnosed in 2011. Sorry, that was the date. Yep. yep. And then we started paddling. So that's where we got the idea. And then we eventually uh, produced the event in 2013. If we jump to 2019, which is the last event, yep. how many people participated in the paddle that year? That's a great question. So uh, 2017, we had 34 paddlers in 10 boats and we raised around $133,000. In wow. 2018, we had 100 paddlers and 30 boats and we raised around $285,000. And wow. then in 2019, we had, we had 80 boats, 209 paddlers, and we raised just around six hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Wow! And uh, and as you can imagine, it was it was it was not just the event. The event built the organization. You know, I, I realized very early on, coming from a production background, coming from a marketing, sales, promotions, content background, that if we were going to grow the event, we had to become a production company. Mm-hmm. If we were going to become a production company, we had to become an organization. Mm-hmm. And if we wanted to continue to produce it, we were going to have to. Um, I was going to have to eventually go full time. And then, um, I eventually, uh, had to hire an assistant, mm-hmm. um, who is now our director of operations. And now we have three full-time employees and it's a, it's a, it takes a full year to plan the event. It actually takes longer, right? We're already planning for 2022 now, Wow! right? And it's, yep. it's 2020. So, and that 
as well as 2021 as well as 2021 and and so that event has become the catalyst for building community for building culture uh for you know this this our own kind of south florida rite of passage and initiation of this crossing and it's what's built the the mission in the organization i mean you know when piper was hospitalized in 2015 15 and 16, she ended up with a feeding tube and a long-term IV in her heart for intravenous antibiotics and steroids. And she had a, you know, several hospitalizations that lasted, you know, months. And it was at that time where it really pushed me over the edge, where I was at a crossroads in my life where I felt like, wow, you know, I'm working really hard to, you know, chase kind of these entrepreneurial dreams. And although they are worthwhile it really i i just felt like i could have been i could be doing more for piper and for the cf community and um and i it was a really hard decision because i had to leave other opportunities where i you know had a lot of great you know jobs and things that were you know on my um in in my kind of on my plate at that time and i remember talking to my dad my dad was you know, he said, wow, you'd be crazy to leave these opportunities. And I, I mean, I just was really struggling like mm. to really make a decision about what to do. And, um, and I actually met this gentleman and his nickname is Diamond Dave, which is funny, but he, he actually wanted to hire me. And I sat down with him and I said, I got to be honest, like I would love to take this job. It was a great, great job and opportunity. And I said, but here's the thing, you know, my daughter's going through a lot you know, I really feel called to do more and I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know where I really am struggling uh, mentally and physically and emotionally to, to figure this out. And he said, Travis, you know, my daughter got sick one time and, and it was for about four years. And at that time when she got sick, I had to tell my business partners, my investors, I had to tell everybody, you know what, I got to step away. And I need to go be with my daughter. I need to focus on her. And, um, you know, when he told me that, it was like he was, he was giving me permission mm. to let go of everything else that I had been dreaming and, and working on and to focus on Piper. And I'm so grateful that he gave me that key to unlock what has now become really a, a dream come true and in the greatest opportunity I've had in my life to fight for something that's meaningful and important. Um, and that's when Piper's Angels was born and when we really took it on full time. That's awesome, Travis. It's um, having the uh, opportunity to get involved with your organization <clears throat> last year was a was a really great experience, and and I I have to attest to the level, the community feeling, the the overall love and appreciation that the community shared with um, new people that were entering into the event. But um, I got a, a much larger sense of what the the focus behind it was um, once I got around the community of paddlers and the amount of passion that was 
the amount of passion you expressed on the beach with the megaphone at 2 a.m. in the Bahamas when I get ready to launch <laughs> off the beach. Like, uh, I've never had, I think I spent all the adrenaline that I'd stored up for the last 40 something <laughs> years of my life in a matter of like one hour before we even got in the water. Like, by the time we actually got to where we get in the water, I was like, I feel relaxed right now because I've already used up every bit of adrenaline that, <laughs> that, that I'd stored up. Um, a, a real, uh, great experience, an experience that, well, getting a chance to get involved, I didn't really know. I knew a little bit about cystic fibrosis. Um, I had a friend named Derek Galbraith that passed away in his early 20s from cystic fibrosis I'd known from childhood. And so when I'd heard that the paddle was to help those with cystic fibrosis, that was almost like when you said green light for me too, that was it. I like, I heard about the incredible idea of paddling, but then when I heard it was going to be married up with, uh, uh, um, the, to help people really kind of seem like, all right, this is a, a fit. And um, when we were in the Bahamas, one of the paddlers, Gunther Schwartz, mm -hmm. um, he had a red bracelet on and I wasn't aware of what that was. And so I had, he said, let me introduce you to another um, a CF warrior. And I had shaken his hand. And then when I came back over and I kind of like put my hands on Gunther's shoulder to give him like a little shake or whatever. And he's like, whoa, you know, we need to kind of keep distance. And, and I, I was like, what do you mean? And, and he said, well, you know, see how he has a red bracelet on? And I said, yeah, and so do I. He's like, everyone that has cystic fibrosis here, we all are wearing these to let each other know who we are because we can't get within six feet of each other or, you know, we need mm -hmm. to keep social distance. And I, I didn't really understand that. I, was, I didn't know that. And I was right. like, whoa, I, can you explain why that is? Yeah. Yeah, that's it's a great question, and and people with cystic fibrosis are the you know OG social distancers, right? I mean, this whole pandemic has shown people how difficult it is to 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 be human and to not be social and to not want to hug and hold hands and um, be intimate with you know, your community or your family or your friends. And the reason why people with cystic fibrosis have been have to social distance is because, because the defective protein that they have in their body as a part of uh, the gene issue, um, it causes an overproduction of mucus inside the body. And that primarily affects, it's like leaving a hose on in the grass, right? It just kind of floods the grass. Or if you had too much oil in a car, it's just not good to have too much. And so for the digestive systems, all your digestive organs, your intestines, your liver, your kidneys, all everything down below. And for your lungs, which is an open air system, an open airway, having too much mucus really complicates things. And when you have too much mucus, you cre it creates a sticky, wet, moist environment in the lungs. And if you breathe in a bad bug, like a virus or bacteria, when that virus or bacteria goes into a normal, healthy person's lungs, uh, they're able to manage it, you know? But for somebody with CF, that bacteria can go in, like in Piper's lungs, she has what's called pseudomonas. And it's a very common bacteria. Uh, it's found in the soil. It's found all over the place. and But it's also found in almost, in a lot of, patients with cystic fibrosis in their lungs. Mm -hmm. And pseudomonas is what's wreaking havoc on her lungs. That's what has caused every 
infection she's had. And basically, when you think about the lungs, they're like sponges and they're really sensitive uh, tissue. I mean, very, very sensitive. And so when you have bacteria that's colonizing and harboring in the lungs, they are destroying the the lung tissue damage and ultimately causing scarring. And that's what those infections and scarring lead to the decreased lung function over their lifetimes and ultimately transplant or death. That sticky, wet, moist environment, if I have CF and you have CF and I have a, a bad bug like Pseudomonas, but you have an even worse bug um, like B. Cepatia, which is like the number one killer of people with CF, and we come in contact, I could give you my bug and you could give yours to me and and if that happens, because we've already been on antibiotics and steroids our whole life to combat those bugs and those infections, and we already have a suppressed immune system, the likelihood of contracting another bacteria is much higher. And if it happens to be one that somebody else with CF has, it can be deadly. And one of the worst disasters in medical history in the U.S. happened in Boston, where a B. Cepatia patient was brought into a hospital, a clinic that had uh, other CF patients. And this was way back before they, they, they used wow. to have summer camps with kids with cystic fibrosis oh, all together. Wow. They didn't wow. know. And, and this B. Cepatia person came in and was not quarantined and B. Cepatia spread and it got into, and ultimately um, the story I've heard was that it killed around 30 people in a year. Oh my gosh. And so you'd imagine at a CF clinic, they normally have 150 to 200 CF families, patients. Yep. So imagine if you're a nurse or you're a, a, a respiratory therapist or a social worker and you have been, your job every day when you come into work is to help these CF families and patients that live stronger, live longer. And 30 of your patients die in a year. Uh, it was devastating, and and I, yeah. all those doctors and people had left that you know, and it was, it was uh, a disaster. And um, but it was one that taught a very valuable lesson about what social distancing means to a CF patient. Mm -hmm. There's actually a great mm -hmm. movie out uh, for people who are listening if they want to see it called Six Feet Apart. It came out ironically enough last year, and it, it's a great story about that exactly. It's a young love story. Um, of a, a boy and a girl who fall in love with CF and, you know, but they can't be together. Wow. I appreciate you explaining that. Someone asked me, I tried to, I tried to tell, explain that to someone the other day and I didn't have the correct answer. So I was excited to see you today. So you could kind of bring a little light to that. Yeah. And it's really important to know. I mean, I think, it's really important I because, so. you know, cystic fibrosis is one of those diseases just has a weird name and people don't often want to ask. Like if you say, well, I have cystic fibrosis, a lot of people uh, confuse it with other diseases. Um, mm -hmm. They think it has to do with the nervous system or something else. And, um, and people just won't ask, you know, it's like if, if you have a word like that's more commonly known, like diabetes or cancer, uh, you know, people go, oh, okay, I know what that is. But, and CF only affects about 30,000 people in the United States. So it's a rare disease mm. um, around, they think 80 to a hundred thousand worldwide. Mm. Um, so. Gotcha. When we were advised as a, as a nation and or as a global population to stay six feet apart and to also wear a face mask, 
Um, that was another thing I remember at the crossing. There was uh, one of the volunteers who did not have cystic fibrosis had a face mask on, and I'd ask Gunther, why is she wearing a face mask? And he kind of clued me in. You know, she might be feeling like she's getting a little bit sick, and therefore she wants to protect all of us or just be careful. Um, and I feel like there's been a lot of grumbling in our country about wearing masks mm -hmm. or that masks are potentially more dangerous than not wearing because of the bacteria in the mask or, you know, you hear all these different debates about it from your angle. What, you know, already having had exposure to this idea of needing to be a part and to really care for someone that you really, you'd be willing to do anything. Like, I'll wear a mask, that's no problem. Mm -hmm. How is the cystic fibrosis community appreciative of people trying to hold back the tide of the COVID? Um, what, what are you hearing and what are, what are your thoughts and feelings on that? Yeah, it's been a really interesting perspective to have uh, being in a CF family and being a part of a cystic fibrosis organization People, this is just a new threat for people with cystic fibrosis. So they haven't necessarily changed their protocol, but I do know that a lot of CF patients are in extreme isolation right now. I mean, they have, uh, I know s several people who have not had contact with anybody, you know, since this started. Wow. Um, uh, and... You know, for the younger people with CF, like my daughter Piper, I, you know, I think she'll be okay. Um, but for older people with CF, people who have had lung transplants and have more compromised lung function and immunity, this is a real dangerous, deadly threat. And we all just do the best we can. Um, do I think masks help? Yes. Uh, do I think using hand sanitizer helps? Yes. Do I think keeping distance helps? Yes. Those were all things that had been suggested. And Piper has been wearing a mask in public transit and, you know, since she was a little girl. And uh, it's really interesting because the first time I had to put on a mask with COVID, um, I realized I had never actually put on a mask. Mm. This whole time I've always had Piper put on a mask to keep her safe, right? And I, it dawned on me that I had never actually put one on myself to see what it feels like, mm. right? Mm. And it was like, wow, I'm putting on the mask now. And um, it just was quite a, a an eye-opening realization, mm. you know, that as close as I am to being her father and supporting her and empowering her, I still had, had not put myself in her shoes as viscerally as I could have, as intimately as, as mm. I could have. Mm. And so this has been, it's taught me a lot mm. as well. And I think that, you know, people have to find a new normal. And that was what happened when Piper was diagnosed. It took me a while, but we found a new normal of the idea that, you know, something she could she could be hospitalized at any point in time that you'd have to just drop everything you're doing and go to the hospital and be there and that we'd have to alter our work schedules and, um, and really have to do that. And, um, you just have to find a way to be flexible and resilient. And I think that 
one thing I'm learning through this experience with COVID and having to cancel our, our major annual fundraiser with the crossing and, you know, running a business and a nonprofit is our business is built on the core values that have been inspired by people with cystic fibrosis and their resiliency and strength in the face of adversity and fear is what has propelled us to do the work that we do. And so when you look at people with cystic fibrosis and what they've been battling their whole life, you realize, okay, well, if your life is on the line, this is how you fight for it. This is what you do. And um, so you have to learn how to become your own advocate and you can't let others make decisions for you. You have to think for yourself. You have to think and listen to your intuition and your heart and really come from that place of what feels best to you. And what would you do if your family member had uh, cystic fibrosis or was compromised, you know, and how would you treat it in that case? Because mm. that's really how we all should be is, mm. is being as diligent and safe as possible. Great response. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, you turned me on to a musical artist named Nako. Mm, I hadn't heard yeah. of him. And you said, man, you got to listen to this guy. If you, what would be a lyric from one of his songs that really speaks to you? Wow. That is a great I forgot to throw you a little curveball. Just, oh, I love just, that. To, just to take no. us a little on topic, but side topic. It's, um, it's because I, it's deep stuff mm -hmm. and I, I feel like um, it's coming from the heart of um, really listening like you're like you're talking about thinking for yourself, being bold enough to listen, but also form your own opinion and your own track for how you're going to engage in the world. Yeah. And I mean, if you asked me to sing a lyric from. I don't know any artist right now. I don't know that I could pop pop one out of my head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I don't mean um, to catch you off guard, but man, I don't know. I just wanted to see what what you what you thought there. I love that question. <laughs> Thank you for asking that. Nako has been such an instrumental influence uh, as a source of strength and inspiration uh, for me uh, from a music perspective. Which music is emotion. It's powerful to me, and um, and. He sings about culture and he sings about vulnerability and he sings about his story and he he sing, he sings in such an authentic way that I don't think most musicians sing in a way like him. You know, a lot of musicians I think they really they craft their music to be more commercialized and he really has you know sung from the heart and there are so many songs that I love of his uh, that he sings of spirit and he, he sings of the invisible world, not just the visible world. And I would say that if I could pick one song that to me is like the, that song that I would want to have when I'm leaving the beach in Bimini, you know, where mm -hmm. it's like the song that makes you feel like you could start a personal revolution. Mm -hmm. Right. And in that moment, it, you could trans, you can, step up and transform your life right then and there. You could make the change. You could make that next step, whatever it was that if you were really fighting and scratching for everything that you had, <clears throat> it would be um, the wolves have returned is the name of the song. And 
there's a lot of really beautiful lyrics in the song. It's a powerful song, and it's really a story of redemption. Nice. And I think that, you know, one of my favorite parts um, in the song, the lyrics are about how people show up to support each other, and he uses the words, carry your flag. And he sings it over and over and over, especially at the end. And to me, it's like, you know, I don't know if most people, if they had to carry their flag, I don't know if they really know what flag they're carrying. Mm. You know, in, you know, the hardest thing that in my life has been to look at Piper's diagnosis as much as I would love to take it from her, but knowing that I can't. And that this is, this is the, these are the circumstances we're facing. And to, it took me years to get through the, the personal work and the coping and the healing and the learning to get to a place where I could see it as a gift Mm -hmm. and I could see the lesson I'm learning in it and Mm -hmm. the lessons we're learning in it and then take that gift and then share it with others. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of the crossing and the beauty of Piper's angels to me. And so Really, as much as cystic fibrosis is something I wish didn't exist, it has given me a flag to carry. Mm. It has taught me how to be an advocate um, and to fight for what's important. And so carrying your flag, whatever that is, you know, sometimes you got to be willing to pick it up and you got to, you got to, it's yours, you know, like you've got to be the one to wave it, to fly it, to run with it, to charge with it. Um, because if you don't, uh, Matthew McConaughey in his most recent book actually called green lights. Uh, he says about belief and commitment that <clears throat> if you truly believe in something, invariably there will be a commitment that you don't truly have belief without commitment. You may say one thing, you may do one thing, but if you really believe in something, you will, you can search, you can track, and you can find the commitment related to that belief. And a lot of people say they believe things, but you'll, you'll, when you look for the commitment behind the belief, you don't find it. And I think that's what that song is about to me. And that's what um, being an advocate and, and being in a role of advocacy through Piper's Angels it means. Nice. I'm definitely going to listen to that on the drive home. Yeah. <laughs> it gets me fired up every time. I'm like, man, if I'm, especially if I'm up in the morning and I need to go for like a run or something and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I right? just put that song on and it just like, I mean, just the power of it, right? the way it comes in. Yeah. Nice. nice. And thank you, Nako. And medicine yeah. for the people. Thank you for the amazing music message you bring into the world. Nice, man. I, that's excellent. Um, how does mindfulness play into your mindset when you're setting up to paddle mm. from one side to the other? Ooh, wow. Another amazing question. These are the best questions anybody's ever asked me in an interview. I just have to tell you, Todd, you are a well, great I, interviewer. I, I've gotten to know you over the years. So I, I, uh, you, you know, you get me pumped up. And so uh, I'm, I'm here to pump you up, man. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, and I needed this. This is great. Um, 
So the mindfulness component of preparing for the crossing is the most important part. If you're, you know, even even if you're a captain in a crew, I mean, the captains and the crews are the unsung heroes of the crossing. It's just as hard in a way to be on a boat for 15 hours across the ocean and the Gulf Stream as it is to be paddling, although I'd rather be in the water. Um, and, oh, you know, um, it's funny having done this four times, this next year will be the fifth time because each time it's gotten easier, like mentally, but physically it doesn't get any easier. Like there's never an easy year. Um, you know, I've had years where I, my, I, my back was thrown out and I had to pull out at 21 miles in there. You know, there were years when, I mean, my feet were burning so bad that like, I really thought I couldn't keep going. Um, and, and, and then, and then there were, you know, times when I was amazed how the body and the mind could push through. And I really, you know, I've always told people, I think the crossing is 70% mental and 20% physical and 10% equipment. Mm. And I think the preparation, it, it begins, um, you know, it, it always starts at home. I think, you know, you can relate to this so well with the work you do with native yoga, um, with yoga and meditation as practices, they're practices. There's no way you can just wake up one day and go, go do something like the crossing. Like you, it takes years of the mindset, you know, and, and it's those little moments in life where you practice that mindfulness and being present and you got out of the the stories, telling yourself the story of what's going to happen, the story of, you know, your, your failure or your success. And you really ground yourself in, in the present moment. And you, I think getting in the body is one way to do it. You know, when you're there in Bimini and you feel there's so much emotion and there's so much anxiety. And that's why we brought, you know, yoga and meditation into the crossing as a practice prior to leaving because it's so important. And I'm sure you saw how much people cared in those yoga sessions in Bimini, like the people who were there, they knew why they were there. Yep. They were getting, they were getting battle ready, you know? And, and it yep. was like, um, there's a lot to contend with because you experience such a kaleidoscope of emotions from the intimidation of paddling in the dark and the anxiety and stress of facing some pretty big fears, you know, the, the open ocean in the dark, you know, freighters and wildlife and, um, just all the variables of the ocean that make that event. What's so unique about it. Um, and I think anything that, helps um, to eliminate uh, the possibility of um, you really have to ground yourself in that resiliency. And it's, mm -hmm. it's like, it's so cliche to say, but you have to find your why and carry your flag. I mean, you really, when you're in that moment of like 40, 50, 60 miles in and you're thinking, Oh my God, Oh my God, you know, I got to go another 40 miles to get there. I mean, and it hurts and it's painful and all you're doing is really paddling. It's not like paddling's <laughs> in like, say it's paddling's like walking in a lot of ways. It's not complicated. It's not, it's, this is not like doing an Ironman where you have running and swimming and biking. Yeah. It's, it's simply paddling. 
And paddling is inherently slow and safe, but doing it over that distance, you know, it's just like when we were in your class and, you know, sitting there holding, you know, child's pose for that long. I mean, it became excruciatingly painful. (laughs) I mean, to the point where, I mean, I, I I went numb, my joints and my (laughs) knees, everything went numb. And I thought, hallelujah i'm starting to not feel my lower extremities you know like maybe i'll survive this you know but i mean it took me like 15 minutes to recover from that child's pose i mean i remember thinking at one point this is harder than the crossing i was sitting there just in brutal pain and of course piper was there so i thought i can't i can't give up i've got to show her a good example you know but i i mean that i think that's you know I would love to hear your perspective on going into the crossing, like how you prepared or what your mental kind of, you know, process was. Yeah, I think, well, you, you had made a really great point when we first, when when you first walked in and um, you had brought up um, your sister Leanne Mm -hmm. and how her focus right from the beginning in terms of facing the, what's happening with the pandemic that she made up her mind, <clears throat> this is not going to take me. Right. So I think like what you said, when you mentioned that, I feel like that's kind of the heart of it is just making up your mind and just making that commitment. Mm-hmm. And then maybe when you mentioned about, you know, them fought the follow through part, like we have the idea, but then the follow through, where's that? Where'd that go? Right. Um, and then the beauty of it, is that when we do get on the boat for whatever reason that that doesn't even matter because there was that that feeling behind making up the mind you know mm-hmm. like you, you make the so um yeah and we just play we just we just play with it right like it's just an opportunity to because it it's like in whether you make it all the way or you don't it really doesn't change anything when you get to the other side it's not like you're all saying like i did it now i'm a golden god like everyone <laughs> you know <laughs> you still have all the stuff to deal with the next day yep. you know but um so i think it's just the the act and the intention to want to press our abilities and then just be present for it yeah um, you you had made you had said something right before we went over. I don't remember exactly at what point it was, but you are um, about how the ocean reflects what you are putting out. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if, if you remember exactly what you said, but um, I guess the impression that came to me, I, I, something that's really big in the world of mindfulness and in, and in the yoga practices and or meditation practices, is that. If I'm having a really bad day <clears throat> and, you know, or I, if I'm angry and I see you, I might only be able to see the anger in you because I'm feeling the my own anger or I could be feeling really great. I feel wonderful and I only see the wonderful in you. A lot of like what we see is how, what the state of mind and or where we're at in that moment. I feel like when you'd made mention or when you talked about when you're paddling, the ocean will reflect back at you what you what your essence is, mm-hmm. which I think goes back to where your mind is at. You know, and if you're we're going through a lot of turmoil, then when we're on the ocean, you look at the surface. It's looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all I see is a bunch of turmoil. <laughs> 
But then there is that element of when that pain comes up, somehow by not giving up and just going one stroke at a time, which is cliche, mm-hmm. but or one breath at a time in the yoga posture, that there is clar- clarity does kind of shine through somewhere in there, even though it's the pain. There, it's like there is a there is an element where the pain, I don't know, it almost brings out this joy at the same time. It's a mm-hmm. strange, it's an interesting thing where it's very uncomfortable, but yet it feels so real. Yeah. It takes you into your really core makeup, your DNA, your genes, your habit patterns are all the stuff that's happened since we were born. I think it it brings it brings that up. And if it's, and there's a lot of stuff in here, so, you know, you never know what's going to come up. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I I feel like we're in a similar vein of in the realm of mindfulness and then reflection. Mm -hmm. And I also really like that you brought the carrier flag. I think there's, um, there's some power, there's some good messages here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, it's interesting because when you're in the, when you're in those really the, the hardest, most painful parts of the crossing, I, I feel like, um, you know, that's when you catch yourself like telling that story, like, Oh God, I don't know if I can make it. And you you realize, Oh wait, I'm just telling a story. I'm just still just paddling. I'm still just here paddling. Okay. One more, one more, you know, and, and, um, I've, you know, I've done the crossing four times. Um, and once I had to get in the boat 21 miles in because my back seized up, um, two of the other times I had to get in the boat because of con- the conditions where mm-hmm. it was like just, you know, becoming too dangerous or we had to move because of a storm. Yep. So of the four attempts, I've only made it once nonstop the whole way, mm. you know, where I went beach to beach and never got in the boat. And so, you know, my, I had, I've had to go beyond my ego to mm. realize like, okay, this actually isn't about getting from beach to beach. Yes, that's one of the goals. Um, but that's why I always remind people that we have such a great success together. By the time we get to the point where we're standing on the beach in Bimini getting ready to paddle, from that point to me, it's all gravy. It's like we've done it. We've committed. We've planned, produced this huge event. We've all fundraised and trained together. And now it's, now this is, and this is actually what I love about the crossing (laughs) is actually finally getting to the point where I can just stand on the beach and look out at the abyss and not have to worry about a cell phone or a computer, no schedule, no nothing. And all I have to do is paddle. That's the only singular thing. And, And not only am I just having to do that, but I know in the depth of my soul why I'm doing it. Like I know because I see it. And I, and I mentioned this in one of those short films we have um, when Talia was interviewing me. But, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I get, I have a unique perspective because I get to talk to the families mm-hmm. and I get to see the, the, the battles they go through. And so it's, it's really visceral for me, you know, and it's Piper. And when I look at her and I think about her as a young woman now and how she's grown over the years and, um, and, uh, and I've, and I've seen what the crossing has done for as a community of people and for people, um, who have taken it on as a big challenge and it has, you know, brought them out of depression or brought them out of an addiction or given them something bigger to, go after, which I think is so cool. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, I'm kind of segueing here on the carry your flag, 
um, topic, but uh, we created the first global day of activism for cystic fibrosis called War Paint Wednesday. And, you know, I don't use in my everyday vernacular, I don't use the words fight. I don't use the words war. I'm not, I'm, I'm a peaceful person. I, you know, I'm nonviolent to the core. Um, but, and, and this has been something I've debated with people, you know, um, because uh, war paint symbolically, it has represented three main kind of themes throughout many cultures around the world not just the Native American cultures of North America or South America, but around the world, um, Scottish cultures, you know, Indian cultures. And it means uh, to derive a sense of strength. That's one reason you would put paint on your face. Um, the second reason is to promote unity. Uh, and the third is to fight for what's important. And that's what it means symbolically. And so it's obviously used in modern times at, you know, American football games and people use it for other reasons. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a cute concept in the sense that everybody can wear war paint. Everybody can put paint on their face. It's easy and it's simple. So, you know, a two-year-old, an 80-year-old could do it. Um, but it also what we say and why I love it, and this is the part that I think the crossing and Piper's Angels, and really when you get at the root of everything that we do is what it does, is it ignites the advocate. It creates the spark for somebody to show up in some way to make the commitment, to actually take the action, the inspiring story of love through action. It's like, well, what triggers that before it becomes the story of love through action. There's got to be a spark and it's the ignition of the advocate. It's the ignition of the empowerment of somebody who now believes I do have a voice, right? Like let's open up our throat chakra and speak in a lovingly way to express ourselves, you know, in our divine purpose. Like there's a reason we have this voice and this vibration that we can project um, and I believe that, you know, when we're empowered, that's what we become. We become an advocate and, you know, advocacy. And I can tell you, and I would tell anybody that if you have seen somebody lay in a hospital bed for weeks at a time, or you've seen somebody fight for 1% lung function, although you don't want to get caught in fight or flight and you don't want to be operating from a fear-based mindset, that doesn't mean that sometimes you have to fight for what you want. That means sometimes you do have to advocate, stand up, be strong, be resilient. You don't have to use the word fight, but you have to make a stand and carry that flag and say, like Leanne did, I'm going to make it through this thing. She's her best advocate. She has ignited that spark, that fire within her um, that does ultimately empower a community and it does champion a cause. And, and that's what's so important about, you know, it, as simple as it is, when somebody who maybe has had a friend with cystic fibrosis, but never necessarily done anything about it, but they knew about it, right? And it was like the moment you made the decision, that guy... His legacy still lives on because you chose to help and you got to help innumerable people with CF going forward out of the legacy of his life. 
and what he ultimately fought and died for in his life. So, you know, it's, it's really a powerful transmission of energy and of soul and of light um, that we get to carry that torch. Yes. <laughs> you got me teared up. <laughs> um, uh, what date is Giving Wednesday? <laughs> so War, what, what Paint, is <laughs> War Paint Wednesday is Wednesday, November 25th. Um, and this is our second year and last year, um, you know, it was, it was really just a minimum viable kind of product, right? Like we just kind of tested it and threw the spaghetti against the wall right now. We have over 10 grassroots nonprofits from around the country and the world that have signed up. And so it will be, as far as I can tell, it will be the largest single global day of activism in the cystic fibrosis community uh, worldwide. And, you know, we have an Instagram filter that's CF, CF warrior paint. You can literally just use an Instagram filter. You don't even have to buy the paint. That's cool. um, you can order the paint off the website and it's fun. It's, it makes it fun, you know, and unfortunately this year we can't like get people together. Last year it was cool. We had like, you know, a really cool like uh, war paint station where people got to put on all their paint. People got really creative. This year we do have a content contest for best photo. We have a $500 grand prize and a thousand dollar grand prize for best video because the idea is to inspire inspire people to collaborate, right? Like it's the idea is the grandma who's never showed up to a CF event, you know, maybe because she's in a wheelchair, but grandma can put on paint, right? Yep. She can put on potent yep. purple paint. Yep. Um, it's to get somebody maybe who um, is a videographer and is like, oh, you know, man, uh, content contest, that's cool. Well, like, I don't really know anybody with CF and they go on Instagram and they look around or they start asking people and they meet somebody in their community that has CF and they're like, hey, let me tell your story. Um, it's that part of it, of the storytelling and, and the advocacy and awareness uh, and activism um, that we're really striving for. You know, fundraising is really not, um, even though there, there is an opportunity to fundraise and people can give, it's really not the main focus. Um, to it. And it's really just about showing up. Awesome, Travis. I feel like if people are interested in learning more, um, they can find you at pipersangels.org. Mm -hmm. If they want to check out War Paint Wednesday, um, well, you'll, they'll find that on, I'm thinking, pipersangels.org. Yeah, warpaintwednesday.com or Instagram or Facebook. And that's all the same thing, like mm -hmm. add on Instagram. Yep. Um, can you name off a couple of the hashtags that you love and still use from all the events that you've done? Like, yeah. Like, uh, Inspire like, Every Breath. Uh, I love that one. You know, and what's so funny about that is it's actually kind of redundant. So I thought after I actually looked up the definition, like the original meaning, the Latin meaning of insp inspiration, inspire. I was like, oh no, yeah. did we create like a really <laughs> dumb hashtag? But then actually uh, what, what was so funny about it was like, when I read it, I thought, oh, inspire means to breathe into. And then I thought, wow, that actually unknowingly, we created an even more meaningful hashtag because it makes so much sense to consciously breathe into every breath. Mm -hmm. And that would be what inspiring every breath would mean. So that one I love, I love, I love so much. And then, and then bold in the face of fear is one that gets 
tossed around a lot with the crossing and sometimes pretty playfully. But at the end of the day, um, I think it, it is that moment where you you do have to re-engage your boldness, uh, whether it's facing a, a global pandemic, whether it's you know saving or building your business, or whether it's a chronic disease. You know, finding that moment to to carry your flag and and that strength to be bold is um, is that ability to then face it which you can, you know, then consciously transcend the fear. Nice. I think if anybody who is unfamiliar went into the hashtag world and checked either of those two out, um, you're going to be surprised. I think you're going to be, go through some of the photos <laughs> and, and look at what people are saying and doing. I think if you need a little bit of inspiration in your life right now, check out, check out what's happening over over in this little hashtag <laughs> in this world, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And uh, you know, I I really um, I'm really thankful that you took time, Travis, today. That you're somebody that once I got this podcast going, I was uh, I thought right away. I hope Travis will want to come on. So I really um, am appreciative for you taking time out and coming in in person. Uh, it is really great to see you. I feel like. <clears throat> You, um, your encouragement to find the why is, is, um, where, where we all could, could benefit and, um, find some strength moving forward here. I also think that small business and nonprofits have taken a hit Mm -hmm. and, but we are not going to give up and we are going to like keep going here no matter what and yeah. and sometimes having things kind of settle down and then it's like that I, I keep thinking of the phoenix coming out of the ashes it's it's like you know we get we get a little bit of a challenge these challenges have really forced has forced everybody to to get stronger and mm-hmm. um do you have anything that you'd like to part with anything um that you'd like to i know we covered a lot and and but is there anything that you would like to add to conclude. Yeah, thank you. Well, first of all, um, Todd, it, it's a privilege and I'm honored that you asked uh, just to share in conversation and, and be present with you and you have such a big heart and um, I think about you all the time. Oh. I really do. I I, um, I think about this space, you know, even though I haven't been here that many times, um, you know, I... I I find such I find strength in knowing that um, you and your wife and your family are like a pillar in this community that is is shining light and um, and I can feel your heart you know from so far away it's really amazing uh, you know on like a metaphysical and spiritual level how much um, your the commitment you've made to Piper's Angels and the Crossing and in this community and the work that you do, I really, I revere it because it's, it's to me, it's the most important work that people could be doing. And I know it's a big commitment to start a business like this and to be an entrepreneur in this way and to put the, your highest purpose and your, your greatest values at the top of the priority list. 
And I think that's what you have to do. I think that's where the world is being challenged to grow is in that way right now is in that way where we're going to see people are realizing like people with CF do time is a gift and choice is a gift. And uh, we have this beautiful life to live and we chose to be here and we might as well make the most of it and enjoy every, every minute. And to I, what I would say to anybody out there right now who's, who's struggling in any way, mentally, physically, spiritually, whatever, whatever it is, whether you're a young entrepreneur and you're trying to build a business and you take, you've taken a big hit or you're somebody and your health has taken a big hit or you've just recently been diagnosed with something, um, what I would say is that we like to call it the rally factor, but there's this, there is this spark, there's this light that you have inside of you that as you work through those dark periods, as you, as you work through the adversity and you, and you persevere, you learn lessons that ultimately help you grow. And there are, every failure is a win. And Every challenge is an opportunity. And, you know, just from my personal experience, um, I have failed many, many times and I've had my ego crushed many, many times. And, um, you know, as a real life example, last year, right before the co right before COVID happened, you know, we had a board member who we discovered misappropriated funds from our foundation. And, you know, that is one of the most heartbreaking and hardest things that I have ever faced in my entire life. And I have got to tell you that um, learning to walk through those fires, holding your own sovereignty and, and carrying an open heart no matter what you face and understanding that we're all here just trying to learn to be the best humans we can be. And sometimes we sign up for really hard lessons that it's okay. And as my friend Ricky Aiken would say with the young men he works with through uh, his organization, Inner City Innovators, it's okay to not be okay. And right now there's a lot of people who are, are just not okay, but that experience is going to help us all get to a much better place together that is really going to be more than okay. It's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be, there is a, there is a fire on the horizon that is coming that I believe that this world is awakening to and realizing that is so much more beautiful and brilliant than anyone could ever have imagined. And I think that's the path we're on all together. Thank you, Travis. Thank you. This was awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Native Yoga Toddcast. We really appreciate it and we hope you enjoyed. Remember that if you'd like to learn more about upcoming classes, workshops, teacher trainings, and our online yoga studio, all of which you can access at nativeyogacenter.com, your support is greatly appreciated. Have a wonderful day.